Good morning, everyone. My name is Austin Pinckney. I'm an elder here at Cornerstone. Uh, really glad to be here. Really glad to see all of y'all here. Uh, we are starting this new series, Anxious for Nothing. Looking forward to that. Uh, Mike and Jenny, of course, are in Israel in the Holy Land. Um, they've been posting some really cool pictures on Facebook, if you've been able to keep up with that. Uh, it's been really cool to see um, just their pictures. I imagine it's really cool to be there and and get a, a glimpse of where Jesus was doing ministry and preaching and healing and all that. So uh, looking forward to hearing about that when they get back. I think he has something planned for that for all of us. So looking forward to that. Uh, but because they're there, you guys are stuck with me this week. Um, so yeah, we're starting this, uh, this series on anxiety, right? And uh, so I want to share with you guys to open up um, a story from my own life about anxiety. So uh, a few years ago, my wife, uh, before she was my wife, it was before we were ever even dating, we were friends at the time, uh, she sent me this text message that said, hey, I need to have a conversation with you. And uh, so that was, that kind of made me nervous already. Um, if a woman says that she needs to talk about something or have a conversation, man, you probably know that that's probably not a good thing, right? Um, so I was already a little bit anxious going into it, right? Um, I, uh, I was playing in the praise band at the time um, pretty regularly. And I was playing guitar, and so I had band practice that night. It was a Wednesday night. I remember that. And uh, so we decided to meet at McDonald's after I got out of band practice to have this conversation. So we did, and uh, I don't necessarily, I won't go into details about the conversation. Kind of suffice to say that I was um, doing some things that were kind of hurting her feelings and some other people around us at the time. And uh, so we had this conversation, and like I said, I was a little bit anxious going into it, but uh, after the conversation, I was even more anxious, which is kind of interesting. I listened to this um, sermon by R.C. Sproul. Uh, in the last couple, as I've been preparing, I listened to this sermon about anxiety from him. And he was kind of made the, the distinction that anxiety, we're, we're worried or we're anxious about things in the future, future events, the things that we don't know. We don't know the outcome of them, right? Um, or, or we don't typically worry about things that have already happened. We might worry about the consequences of those things, um, what those, the, the thing that happened, how it uh, affects the future that we don't know, is still sort of a future event. And so I would say that's where I was in that moment. Um, I didn't really know. I, I was upset about um, the way my actions had affected people, for one thing. And I was sort of worried about uh, rebuilding trust with people and, and how to go about that and what that all looked like. Worried that I had hurt people who were my friends, who were close to me. And so I remember being so um, anxious about this, I had to pick up my brother afterwards. He was at his girlfriend's house, and I was supposed to pick him up. I was already running late. Uh, I drove this blue Dodge truck. It had a, a V8. It was a fairly loud truck. It, had a, it made a very, it was a very distinct sound, right? And so my brother told me later that he actually heard the truck coming down the road, got up to leave, and then heard it go past and sat down. And I had just driven right past the house. Um, I completely missed it. I got two miles down the road and was like, where am I? I'm somewhere between Freeze and Elk Creek, and I have, I don't even know where I am. So I turned around and went and got him. Um, and even the next day, I, was, um, I would say that this anxiety also kind of manifested in a certain amount of depression. I don't usually, I'm not usually one to struggle with anxiety or depression. Um, but the next day, I, um, I, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a morning person necessarily, um, my wife says I lied about this in, 
I told her I liked mornings, and there's a difference, right? I do like mornings, but I wouldn't classify myself as a morning person, but I do still get up fairly early. I, I work, you know, um, try to get up by 6.30, 6 on a good day, 6.30, um, 7 on the weekend maybe, you know. Anyways, but uh, I, I could not get out of bed that next morning after this conversation. I um, was there at 10 or 11 o'clock probably. It was just so hard for me to get out of bed because the anxiety and the depression was weighing on me. So that's, when I think of anxiety, um, that, is the, that is the event in my life that really stands out in my mind. Um, and so I bet we all, you know, have things to be anxious about. I bet we've all experienced anxiety at some point in our life, right? There's um, a world full of things to be anxious about. Thinking, uh, and going on now, we have this, uh, this Russian invasion of Ukraine. Are we going to, into World War III? The, the American government is like trillions of dollars in debt. Maybe you're anxious about something on a more personal level, um, like work or money, uh, relationships that you have with people, kind of like I was, a relationship with a, with a co-worker or a boss or even your spouse or your children maybe. Um, so, so yeah, if you weren't anxious, maybe you are now. Sorry about that. But um, there's just no shortage of things to be worried about, right? To be anxious about. There's, uh, where there's a whole world full of them. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to... Um, we're going to be talking about anxiety today. And I have three, kind of a three-part uh, sermon here of what we want to do. First, I want to start by kind of defining anxiety. We're going to, I'm going to sort of differentiate anxiety and worry. And um, then I want to look at what Jesus says about anxiety and, and essentially how anxiety affects us. And thirdly, uh, we're going to kind of end on like God's promises. Or why, um, as the series title says, why we are anxious for nothing, why we don't need to be, while, while we are anxious, we don't necessarily need to give in to it, right? So that's kind of our, our where we're going to hit there, where we're going to go. Uh, before I get into all that, I want to give a little disclaimer. Uh, I'm not a doctor or a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, or counselor or anything. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in English, and I'm self-employed as a handyman, so I'm not really qualified to make any kind of medical diagnosis or anything. Um, I do uh, want to say also that there is... Um, real disorders that manifest themselves in like physical symptoms, anxiety um, that goes beyond what we face in our normal day-to-day lives. And uh, that's not really what I want to tackle today. Um, I do want to make a note of saying that um, if you do struggle with anxiety uh, in a way that's like that, um, there's been, there's kind of a stigma in the church, I think, sometimes on seeking help. Um, And I, I want to say that it's okay to seek help. It's good to seek help. Um, there, there's, you know, we live in a world full of problems. We live in a broken, sinful world, but by the grace of God, we, uh, we can try to understand these things and we can try to do something about them. Um, so yeah, I just want to know, I want you to know that it's okay to seek help if you do struggle with anxiety or something on a, on a big level, but that's kind of not really where I'm going. I'm really going towards more the anxiety that we face, um, in our day-to-day lives that we kind of all face, um, in a certain way. So uh, we'll start. Let's go into, um, we'll define anxiety and worry. And there's kind of a reason I want to differentiate between the two of them. So uh, these are just from Google. Uh, If you just Google define anxiety, um, you get this. uh, Anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Uh, so that kind of reminds me of that Sproul quote that I shared with you earlier about anxiety being about the future, right? This definition says it's about an imminent event or something with an... So 
something with an uncertain outcome. So it comes down to kind of uh, we're anxious about things that we don't have any control over, um, things that we don't know how they're going to turn out. We don't know how it's going to go. It could go maybe really badly. And so we, uh, we tend to be, feel this feeling of anxiety about it. Now, worry, um, here's the definition again from Google. Give way to anxiety or unease to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. So both of these words, they kind of use one word to define the other. Like, you know, worry is anxiety and anxiety is worry. Kind of circular, not super helpful necessarily in trying to understand it um, if you don't necessarily know what the other means. But there's a, an important distinction here that I want to make about this definition. Uh, it says to give way to anxiety or to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Um, so this is kind of brings me to my first point. Uh, anxiety is a feeling and worry is an action. So we feel anxiety, right? It's uh, kind of an emotion. Like we, um, and we kind of have motion, emotions as like indicators, right? We feel sadness. So if we're feeling sad, we can step back and say, um, I feel sad because this happened or or I'm feeling angry or frustrated because of this. And I, I'm feeling um, anxious because of, of this situation over here, you know. And so we can feel those emotions without necessarily giving in to them. Like if I get angry, I don't have to punch a hole in the drywall, you know. Um, that's a, kind of a choice that I make. Um, and so the, um, that's kind of where I want to make that distinction between anxiety and worry. Anxiety is a feeling. Worry is an action. And uh, so maybe you've heard a phrase. Uh, I was actually sitting at a restaurant the other day, and I, heard, I just overheard someone talking about it. Um, maybe you've heard that worry is a sin. Like the Bible says not to worry, therefore it's a sin. And I don't wholeheartedly agree with that, but I don't wholeheartedly disagree with it either. Um, I think it's a, a bit black and white. It's kind of a, a broad statement. And I think it leaves, um, I think it's kind of a burdensome statement. So I do want to um, kind of maybe clear that up a little bit. I'm going to start with why I don't fully agree with it. To get there, uh, let's go to the, the book of Luke. Luke 22, 39 through 46. Okay, so to give you a little um, context on these, these verses here, this is uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is just after um, he has celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He has instituted the first Lord's Supper, you know, the taking of the, the bread and the wine. And um, the Judas, uh, currently in the story, Judas is in the act of betraying him, uh, going to the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. They're rounding up a mob to come out and get Jesus. And uh, this is hours before the cross. This is not, I mean, this is in the nighttime. Um, he goes to the cross fairly early in the day, the next day. So just hours before the cross, right? Um, so I'll read it to you guys. Luke 22, 39 through 46. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Okay, so this gives us a, a kind of an interesting illustration of Jesus here. Um, to kind of understand where I want to go, we need to um, kind of know something about Jesus. We believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God, right? That's kind of a foundational belief 
of Christianity. Jesus is God, the God of the universe, uh, universe in the body of a man. And so he has all of the attributes of God, right? He is all-knowing, all-powerful, um, all-present, all these things that God is, um, but he's somehow contained in the body of a man. We don't really, I don't know if we can fully understand that. It, it's sort of a view that we kind of hold in tension. It doesn't always make sense. Um, but we also know that being fully man, Jesus experiences things like we experience. He experiences emotions. Uh, he experiences um, think hunger and thirst. We see that in the Bible. We see Jesus experiencing sadness. Um, whenever Lazarus is in the grave, it says uh, Jesus wept. Um, very short Bible verse. Uh, we see him experiencing sadness. And here I think we very much see uh, Jesus experiencing anxiety. Right? So um, even the God of the universe and his, um, his fully man self experiences the anxiety of the cross. So it says, um, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. His sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Um, so we see, so why is he in anguish? Um, I think we have to keep in mind the, uh, the enormity of the cross, the, the, um, how big of an event that is. For one thing, uh, the physical pain would have been excruciating. Uh, maybe he was in anguish about that, for one thing. Also, I think that there's kind of like a spiritual pain that we don't fully understand when it comes to the cross. Um, the way I've been thinking of it, uh, I've been thinking about this verse a little bit the last few weeks in preparing, and um, I've been thinking about how Jesus essentially endured um, an eternal punishment that was meant for us in a matter of hours on the cross. Um, and I, I have no idea what that's like, but I assume it's very bad, very hard, very rough. And so it makes sense for the side of him, uh, the part of him that is fully man, to experience a certain amount of anguish over this, or experience a certain amount of anxiety over that. So, um, you know, we believe, like I said, Jesus is fully man and fully God. We believe that he lived a perfect life in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, right? So um, if he's experiencing this anxiety here uh, prior to going to the cross, then we can't wholeheartedly say, we can't say that anxiety is a sin, right? If it's a feeling that we feel, um, that or we have, or that, or if it is a sin, then we have our theology about Christ all wrong, right? Um, which that's a, a whole other sermon. We don't have time to necessarily prove that. Um, just kind of suffice to say that that's a, a, a core foundational belief that we have, right? So believing that, we can say that anxiety itself is not a sin. It's a, it's a feeling, right? Anxiety is a feeling. Worry um, is an action. So... Um, if that's the case, you know, we feel anxiety. Um, it's sort of an indicator about what's going on in our lives. We can look at things and say, um, you know, this, I feel anxious about this upcoming event. Um, you know, how do we like, how, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? How does anxiety affect us, right? And so that kind of, um, we'll move into uh, this next section here, uh, the next point, next part of the sermon. Uh, what does Jesus say about anxiety? And uh, so I'm going to read to you a section of scriptures from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. That's the, the scripture reference. I want to say beforehand that uh, when I became a Christian, um, I started reading the Bible. I realized, uh, I was just my dad gave me a Bible for my 25th birthday, and I started reading in Matthew, and I, especially in the Sermon on the Mount that really like stood out to me, I realized Jesus was not the person that I thought he was. 
I had this sort of preconceived idea of who I thought he was. And the Jesus, that, that, that Jesus was not lining up with the Jesus I saw in the Bible. And uh, so this, actually, this section here um, is one that particularly stood out to me um, with some other stuff going on in my life at the time that was making me feel kind of anxious. Um, so I'll read it, for, read it to you. Uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love that last section. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So that's one um, that has really, really stood out to me early on. And so um, we see a couple things here. I want to kind of look at how in this verse, uh, this section here, how worry affects us, what Jesus is saying about it. He's telling us not to worry. And I would say this is maybe where we get the idea, um, you know, where we say like worry is a sin, right? Jesus tells us not to do it. Um, so in this, in this passage here, the word worry, uh, it's a Greek word. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you. I'm not a Greek scholar. I just really like the Blue Letter Bible app. Um, so he's, it, the, the definition, uh, the way it's defined, the way we define it, uh, this word translated as worry means to be anxious, to be troubled with cares, to care for, to look out for a thing, to seek to promote one's interests, or caring or providing for. So those, like, those, those last couple of definitions there, I think it starts to fall into place where worry becomes dangerous. When we begin to uh, seek to promote our own interests or, or trying to care or provide for ourselves, obviously we, we do that, but we know that God um, is ultimately the provider, right? Uh, there's another um, word here that I want to point out. Uh, Jesus says that the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, talking about food and clothing and stuff. And I think that um, whenever he says eagerly seek, again, another Greek word, uh, means to inquire for, to seek for, search for, or seek diligently, to wish for or crave, or to demand or clamor for. And so again, this is where um, we move from being anxious about something to um, being worried about something, to demanding or craving something in a way that becomes unhealthy for us, right? So it's essentially becoming like idolatry. Uh, the idea is maybe that um, we go beyond anxiety, we latch on to, we, we, we take worry as an action, we kind of latch on to the worry, uh, we worship the worry rather than worshiping God, right? We think, as Jesus says here, that um, if we worry about something, it can add um, a certain amount of, we can, we can fix it or solve it, but he says um, that that's not the case. Um, I also want to kind of point out in, in regards to this um, idea of seeking to promote our own interests, to, 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 do, to do it in a way that um, we're demanding or clamoring. Uh, there's kind of an interesting like analogy that Jesus uses here. He talks about 
And he uses food and clothing as an analogy. He uses um, the, like birds and uh, flowers as part of his analogy. And, and I think there's a reason he does that. For one thing, um, they're fairly common. Um, we need food. We need clothing. We, we need food literally to sustain ourselves. Uh, we can only go so long without eating before we die, right? And clothing, we need. We don't necessarily have to be clothed, I guess, but we do wear clothing um, for a practical purpose. It serves a purpose to keep us warm, uh, protects us from the sun, wind, rain, and stuff like that. So they, they serve a practical purpose. But um, when we begin to seek eagerly for them um, in a way that becomes... Uh, it becomes, like I said, kind of unhealthy. It becomes something that we worship or we worship the desire for them or the need for them rather than uh, looking to God to provide these things. Um, so Jesus is saying, you know, we need, we, we, you know, God provides these things. Um, there's kind of an interesting line here, one analogy or one pastor I heard talking about it. I don't know if it was, might have been Matt Chandler. Anyways, um, he talks about watching birds, you know, and they... Um, you know, it's not that they don't work. Like they, you know, birds get up early. They go out and they um, find seeds or bugs, insects and stuff, and they, they work all day. If you've ever watched a bird building a nest, they're very diligent. Um, at the same time, like God provided all those things. Think about every little seed that like, you know, from every flower that spills out on the ground that a bird eats, you know, and like God knows about every single one of those seeds and he places it there for the birds, right? And so I, I, the same, Jesus is saying like the same is true for us, um, when we focus on these things, trying to achieve or attain these things, um, we distract ourselves. And so that kind of brings us to uh, the second point here. Uh, when we give in to anxiety, it distracts us from God's plan and purpose. So God has a plan and a purpose for us. And, and like Jesus says, when we seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be provided for you. Um, so, you know, he places the emphasis rather than just on our, on our needs, things that we need, like food and clothing, he places the emphasis on seeking God first, right? Um, so God has a plan and a purpose, right? That's kind of our, um, that's kind of where we want to end up with all of this. That's our, kind of our goal is uh, seeing God's plan and purpose. Why do we have things like anxiety? You know, we live in a broken world, and how, does, how is it that God allows for these things? Um, so I think of, when I think of God's plan and the kind of the, um, the, the clash there between God's plan and the hard things of the world, the difficult things that cause anxiety, I think of the story of Joseph uh, in the Old Testament. So Joseph, of course, um, uh, Jacob is Joseph's father. Uh, Joseph is born of Jacob. He has uh, 11 other brothers, so there's 12 of them total. Uh, and Joseph is kind of his dad's favorite. And um, honestly, he's, he's a little bit of a prick, um, if we're being real. Uh, he kind of like, you know, he's like, hey, guys, I'm dad's favorite. You know, I had this, he gave me this awesome coat, and uh, I had this dream that you guys were all bowing down to me, you know. Uh, so they sell him into slavery, not to say that any of that justifies being sold into slavery, um, but that's what they do, right? So uh, they sell him into slavery. He goes to, he ends up in Egypt, and uh, he's there working for this master. Uh, his master's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. And uh, so he's thrown into prison. Uh, while he's in prison, he's there for a long time. He, uh, he ends up meeting some of Pharaoh's right-hand guys. 
and interpreting dreams for them. One gets executed, the other one goes back to his position. And Joseph says, hey, you know, remember me to Pharaoh and in my position here. And of course the guy forgets about him. And then a couple years later, um, Pharaoh has these dreams. And uh, the guy's like, oh yeah, I remember this guy in, in prison, Joseph. He interprets dreams. Let's, let's talk to him. So, uh, so, so Joseph interprets the dreams and, uh, and ultimately ends up saving lots of people from a famine. They, Egypt has all these years of abundance. And then um, so during that time, you know, God gives wi- Joseph wisdom and he is able to uh, store up the grain and he, he um, sells it back out to people and, and they, it saves lots of people from this famine. And so I think about that when I think of um, we don't always see God's plan in the midst of the things that makes us, make us anxious, right? So Joseph had plenty of uh, reasons to be anxious, right? He's sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, he... Uh, uh, is accused of rape, thrown in prison, all this stuff. And then, but God uses all that to put him in a position um, to work God's plan, to save lots and lots of people. Now, that's a story that kind of came to mind. And so um, uh, kind of like the big picture I want you all to see today when we think about anxiety and the things that we face is that God has a good plan. Uh, we don't always get to see that, or we might not see it right away. When we're in the midst of our uh, struggles and anxiety, um, we might not necessarily recognize that God has a good plan for these things. So uh, maybe a year later, maybe five years, maybe ten years later, we're able to look back and say, you know, God did have a good plan. I see how he used that in my life and the lives of people around me. Um, or maybe we don't. Maybe we get to heaven and we go all our lives without seeing how that thing how God worked that for good and for his glory. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not any kind of, um, there's no guarantee on any of that. Um, but we do have evidence. We do see like that story of Joseph of God using difficult, hard things for good, right? So I kind of, um, being that God has a good plan, this is kind of the third part of um, the sermon here where we want to tackle this um, I don't have a, um, you know, we live in a broken, sinful world. There are going to be things, like I said early on, that make us anxious. There are going to be things that are hard, uh, things that are difficult. Um, we're going to experience anxiety. And I don't have a formula. I don't have a checklist that's like, you know, do these seven things um, to conquer anxiety. Uh, if I was preaching that, I think it would be the wrong sermon. Um, like I said, I do think that there are steps we can do. Uh, I do think it's good to see a doctor or something if we need to. We can have a community of people around us um, for encouragement. Um, but I think ultimately what we need to recognize is um, who God is through all this stuff. Uh, remembering that he has a good plan. So um, I have just a bunch of scriptures here. This is kind of the last part um, that I'm going to kind of talk about. Um, to remind us of essentially God's promises, how God promises us um, what the things that he's promised us that kind of give us hope, I should say. I, I think through our anxiety, um, a big thing we can do is just remember the character of God, who God is. So um, let's kind of go through that here. Um, start with Isaiah 26.3. You keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. 
So God promises to give us peace, right? That's something he's promised us. This verse here, um, this is another one that was kind of really uh, encouraging to me early on in my walk. I remember going to this life group and talking specifically about this verse. And uh, we did this word, or I did it, I think on my own actually, um, on the word peace. Um, I'm, like I said, English major, and and I remember doing word studies in a linguistics class and really enjoying it, and then I became a Christian. I was like, man, you guys do this too? This is great. Um, So I I did this word study on peace, and um, anyways, it it was really impactful to me. I reckon it's a a Hebrew word. It's from the Old Testament, and that word peace means like uh, completed or completion. Um, Essentially, we are completed by God. So he gives us this like this covenant of peace, like, to be completed by Jesus Christ. So um, we, are, we are made whole by him, right? So, so God promises us peace. That's something we can remember. Uh, another scripture, Deuteronomy 31.6. This is kind of um, God's uh, a promise to Israel while they are um, going in to conquer the, the promised land there. Um, so he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you, or he will not leave you or forsake you, I think is a a fairly common translation of that. So God promises that he will never leave us. Whenever we're struggling with anxiety or things that are going wrong, um, we know that God is there. We can turn to him. Uh, We can turn to his promises in Scripture and and remember those. We can come to him in prayer and ask for relief. We can... um, we can, we can pray to him, you know, and, and I think about Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where um, kind of a common theme is that God is approachable. We can go to God uh, with anything, right? So God promises he'll never leave us. Isaiah 54.10, though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. So God promises that he will always love us. He says his love will not be removed. This is grace, right? I mean, uh, we're, by all our actions, we're not really worthy of God's love. I, I mess up on a daily basis, right? Um, but God says that, that his love is not contingent upon our actions or our doing good, um, but it will never be removed from us. And again, he talks about that, that covenant of peace, that covenant of completeness that we have through Christ will not be shaken, right? So he promises to always love us. And that kind, of, that kind of segues into this next verse here, John 3, 16, very familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God promises, because he loves us, because of that love that cannot be shaken, that will not be removed from us, um, he promises to save us by his grace, right? So um, God has promised to, um, to give us a way out, a way from uh, a way out of hell, essentially, a way to be reconciled to him. Uh, and it's, it's purely his action, it's something that he's done. It's a, it's a free gift, um, not something that we have to earn, right? And uh, John 14, 1 through 6, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So um, like we saw in John 3, 16, we see that God offers a way to him, right, through Jesus Christ, which we see uh, here at the end of this verse in John 14. 
Um, but also we see God's promise of the return of Jesus. We see that Jesus will be glorified in his return, um, that we have um, an eternal, um, <clears throat> will be eternally united with, with, with God through the return of Jesus. We see the promise of his return. So um, I just want to kind of like, you know, if you, if, we, if you take anything away, I want you to take away that God has a good plan and we can lean into Scripture um, when we're feeling anxious about things. Like I said, you know, this, is not a, uh, this is not a how-to. This is not a um, do this, this, and this to, to relieve yourself from anxiety. Um, but rather, I want us to be reminded of who God is. Um, so to kind of like wrap all this up, I have a couple more Scriptures here. Uh, and I'm not going to spend too much time here because this is actually kind of what Larry is going to be preaching on next week. I was, um, in preparing this sermon, I was like, man, this verse would be so good to end on. And uh, I checked the, um, I checked the, uh, the, like the sermon guide. We have kind of like a guide that we use. And it was actually the verse like that Larry's using next week. So I, um, I think it's a good segue, but I won't, I won't spend too much time on it and uh, steal his thunder or anything. Um, so 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Uh, this is Paul. Paul is writing here uh, to the church in Corinth, right? And uh, this is him talking kind of about himself. Uh, he's uh, talking about these like revelations that he had about Jesus Christ and how God has kept him humble through that, right? Okay, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we don't really know what this thorn in the flesh was that uh, Paul talks about here, but we do know that he prayed for it to be taken from him, and uh, God did not do that. Um, so it's important to note, though, that Paul says that God's grace is sufficient for him. God tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. I am enough. Jesus is enough, right? Um, whenever we're struggling with things, uh, gra- or with, uh, sorry, not grace. I don't think we struggle with that. Uh, when we're struggling with anxiety, uh, worry and stuff, we can recognize that Jesus is enough, right? Uh, another one from Paul here in the letter to the Philippians. This is kind of a um, famous, another uh, pretty well-known verse, kind of a coffee cup verse. Philippians 4, 12 to 13. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through he who strengthens me. So Paul is writing this letter from prison at the time, but he's saying, you know, like, my circumstances don't necessarily define my well-being or my contentment. It's Christ that does that. I am able to endure all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So we see, again, this idea that God's grace is enough, that Christ is sufficient for us all. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and invite the praise team to come back up. This is our uh, response time. It's a time that we can kind of respond to what God is saying to us today, right? Um, so maybe, uh, maybe that looks different for all of us. We can worship. We can um, 
you know, stand and sing. We can go to the cross and pray. You can pl- uh, drop prayer requests in the box over there. You can worship with tithes and offerings. Um, but I want you all to just uh, maybe kind of uh, reflect on the things that make you anxious and, and how, can, um, how can you lean into God? You know, what, what, what are the promises? What are God's promises that you go back to over and over um, that really bring you through those things? So uh, let's pray. Oh, I want to say one more thing. Uh, if you are not a believer and you um, want this peace that God offers, this, this sufficiency, this, um, this grace, um, that's offered to you freely. Today, uh, now is a good time. Any day of your life, you know, the, the Bible says if we um, believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, we will be saved. And uh, so if you, if you want to do that, you can do that today. You can come see me. Um, it's just a matter of, of believing that uh, Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins, right? And if you're not a believer and you're struggling with these things like anxiety and stuff, uh, I just want you to, um, I hope you leave feeling encouraged, you know, I, uh, I wanted to share that section about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane um, to encourage you. I, I want you to recognize, you know, Jesus felt anguish as well. Uh, I don't want you to feel like I, I said that worry was a sin and, and feel like you're leaving being like, you know, my life is falling apart and now Austin just said that worry is a sin and I'm a dirty sinner for worrying. No, I, I want you to, um, I don't want to put another burden on you. Um, so I want you to, to just to know that God's grace is sufficient and that Um, God has a good plan even when things are awful. So let's pray, and then these guys will lead us in another song. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for for your grace, God. Thank you that it is sufficient uh, for us all. Thank you that we can be uh, redeemed to you by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Um, I thank you for everyone that you've brought here today. I thank you for the opportunity to come here and worship you. And um, we just pray, God, that uh, you would help us to remember who you are when we're anxious and to, uh, to not give in to that like anxiety, to not worship the worry, but to, um, to worship you uh, for who you are, God. Help us have a good day, God. Help us rest today. Um, I just pray that you keep us all safe as we're driving home. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.